We'll go ahead and turn with me to Genesis chapter 15, verses 8 through 21, as we talk about this covenant trust that God that was between God and Abram, still Abram at this point, um, that God established there in that moment, in this moment that we'll see, and that is still rings true today that we see what God has done and how he worked through this covenant. Amen. So Genesis 15, 8 through 21 reads like this. It says this, this starts with Abram talking. And it says, And he said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? So he said to him, Bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these to him and cut them in two down the middle and placed each piece opposite the other, but he did not cut the birds in two. And when the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. Then he said to Abram, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs. We see that in Egypt, right? And will serve them, and they will afflict them four hundred years. And also the nation whom they serve I will judge. Afterward they will come out with great possessions. Now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation they shall return here. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And it came to pass when the sun went down, and it was dark, that behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed through, passed between those pieces. On the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land from the river of, the, of, of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenites and the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephraim, and the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Gergesites, and the Jebusites. This is Genesis 15, 8-21. We'll, in, in just a moment, we'll get into to some of the meaning of what was going on there, right? Because that might sound peculiar to some of us that maybe have read that, but don't understand like all the, the cultural and the historical background of going, that was going on right now. First, I want to talk about what's the covenant, right? We talk about the covenant, and you might hear it uh, talked about in theology and, and from the pulpit and maybe in Bible studies or, or different things. What was... The covenant that God established between Abram and himself, right? And through Abram, we see the term from Abram to Isaac, Isaac and Jacob. Jacob, then on Moses, is reiterated and then reiterated with David. And then we see others come in the New Testament, right? But that's what it covers. The Old Testament is this covenant, right? This flow, how the covenant was this thread that went all the way through the history of the Israelite people. So what is that covenant? Well, last week we read in Genesis chapter 12. And that's where God says and gives and lays out the covenant with Abram. This is what it reads. It says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in, and, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So this is the core of the, the covenant that God creates with Abram. And it's expounded at some points. At some points, God reiterates certain aspects and, and really focuses on it. At different points, he talks about the land. We just read that, the land that they would receive. At other points, he talks to Abram about how, look at the dust, look at the stars. Your, your, your lineage will encompass that and surround that even more than that. So you see at different points that God emphasizes different aspects of this covenant. But this is the covenant that God creates with Abram. A promise. What's a covenant? It's just a promise. Right? It's just a promise that this will come to be. This is what I promise you. This is the covenant I make with you. This will happen. And if we look at this, we see some different things that God establishes and promises Aram through this covenant. That we can go back and check and say, did he fulfill these things? Right? 
He says, I'll make a great nation. And then we see that. We see the Israelites, they go to Egypt, they come back, and they have this nation that is powerful and influential. And we still see the, the what remains of it still today, right? It's molded, it's changed, it's been, it's, things have went back and forth with it. But we still see the Israel nation today. I will bless you. I think we can say that Abram was blessed. He had many children. He had much possessions. He was blessed. He had a, right relationship, a pretty good, a good relationship with God. Things went great with his, pretty good with his family. He was blessed. I will make your name great. We still talk about Father Abraham today. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. We see that. We'll talk some about that as we continue through the life of Abraham, how some of his interactions with people, those that did well with him and they worked with him, they prospered. Those that went against him, they struggled, right? And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And many of us, most theologians, um, people who look at the scripture, believe that through this, he's talking about Christ coming through the lineage of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then through David, right? So we see this. And God has has told this to Abram. He's established this to Abram, set it up saying, this is the covenant, this is the promise I make you, right? And that's in chapter 12. And he continues to reiterate and talk about that through chapter 13 and 14. And then 15 opens up with Abram is having this conversation with God, right? And he's having a conversation that many of us might think is strange. Many of us may be like, well, I would never dare to have that kind of conversation with God. But what he's doing, he's he's questioning God, right? He goes and he says, God, I don't have a child. God, how's this going to be? How are you going to bring this... What are you going to give me? What are you going to, how are you going to make this happen? And he's having this questioning on me. He's basically saying, you've said all this stuff, God. You've told me all these things. You, you painted this great picture. You told me to leave her. I left her. You told me to leave my fam- my, the rest of my family. I left them. You told me to leave that behind and come into this uncertain place. I did that. And we've got in this area. We're wandering around and we've not built a home yet. We've not built anything yet. We're still wondering. It's a pretty picture. You, you've painted me, but, but how do I know? How do I know? Right? We've been in those places, right? We, we hear sermons preached and we hear testimonies of, of what God can do and what God has done. And, yeah. and then we get saved or we really commit to God or we try to, to push forward with Him and grow with Him. And, and we get to a point where it's like, man, we're still struggling, right? We're still, we, we've not received those things that other people talked about getting, right? That other people talked about getting this and getting that. And you'll hear people on television saying, if you believe, you'll get this and that. And you might be like, well, I believed in, and I've not received that yet, Lord. I've not received any kind of blessing. I'm not, I don't feel your presence like I thought I would. I, I'm not as close as I, I thought I'd be. Things aren't going the way I thought they would. How do I know you're there? How do I know that you what you say is true? How do I know what you say is real? How do I know? Yeah, and that's where God steps in and begins to talk. And then we inst- he sets out for him. And that's where we get to chapter 15, which sounds pretty peculiar to those of us that, that read it, you know, and when it comes to modern day's context. So what, what is the meaning of what happens in chapter 15. Right? We look at what happens here in chapter 15. And it doesn't match anything that we do today. Right? He tells me, he says, go get some of these animals. And he doesn't even tell them what to do with them. Abram knows what to do with them. He goes and puts them all in half and he lays them out to create like a pathway between them. And this might sound strange and peculiar and it might seem like what in the world is going on here. But at this time, in the cultural context, this was a significant event that was about to occur. In Scripture, we see it happen one more, one other place in the book of Jeremiah between two people that they make this. They, they have this process that they go through. And this was what was called a blood covenant. Historically speaking, this was a blood covenant. These animals were not meant to be a sacrifice. That's not what this role that it filled. What this was, 
Because this was a promise being made. Similar to how we have contracts or how used to you shake hands and it would your you know, the man's word was his was his honor and everything like that. And that's not what they did then. They did when they were serious, when there was a promise to be made, when there was a pact to be made, they had and did this process called a blood covenant, right? And what it was meant to entail was as you would walk through, the individuals that were taking part in this blood covenant would walk between through this aisle of the animals that are split. And what it was supposed to represent is, if I in any way backtrack, do not fulfill my side of this agreement, let my life be like one of these animals. Destroyed, killed, and torn apart, and just cast aside with no purpose, with no meaning. And that's what it's, that's what it's referring to. That's the historical context of what's going on here. And there's a significant, significant role that it played. But what we often see is it happened in two ways. One was a condition. One is where two people that were making a promise together would walk through this and both had a part to play. That was a conditional blood covenant. But also there is one where there is an unconditional blood covenant. Where one party would walk through it by themselves and say, I make a promise to fulfill this for you. The weight of everything falls upon me. You just have to trust me. I'm going to fulfill this covenant that I've made to you. This covenant that we've made, I will fulfill it and you will will see. So that's what we're talking about here. That's what's going on. We have to understand what's going on here and not just say, well, this is a strange thing. This is a weird thing. I don't understand what's going on. We can't just play it off. It's just another sacrifice. No. This was specifically God was establishing a blood covenant with Abram and saying, I promise you this. I promise you this above anything else that I will Fulfill what I said I will fulfill. When he said, I will, I will. And that's what he says. You go through the covenant and all these things, all these statements start with, I will, I will, I will, I will. And it goes on to talk about, I will do these things. What God is telling Abram in this moment, I will do what I have said that I will do. I would rather take up death myself than not fulfill this promise that I'm making to you and to your descendants in this moment. No matter what comes, no matter what happens, he says, I know your people are going to stray. They're going to go and they're going to be put in captivity. These things are going to happen. Those things are going to happen. This is your land. This is my promise to you. This is your promised land. Nothing's going to happen to remove that from your lineage, from your people. When I say I will, I will. And the weight of that rests upon me. You just have to trust me. You just have to believe me. You just have to put your faith in me and just put it in my hands and know that when I say I will, I will. And nothing will stop me from fulfilling that and from bringing it to happen, right? And we see that. We see that through all of Scripture. The people of Israel, they go into Egypt, he brings them back. They go into Babylon, he brings them back. They go to this place and that place, into captivity, out of captivity. They mess up, they, they forsake God, they're unfaithful, they go away from Him, they go against Him. God brings them back to this place that He promised would be theirs. He never gives it to another. He never sells it off. He never rots it off. He never says no more. Nothing's happening that way anymore. We're just going to forget about it. He says, I said I will and I will. And we see that, right? We see that in this scripture where it talks about where this darkness came over. Abram began to, to, to grow weary, grow, go, grow to, go to sleep, and everything. And these things begin to occur. And it says that, that basically what we see is the essence of God comes down and is present in this place with Abram. And goes, between, goes down this aisle making this covenant with Abram. This is how serious God took this moment. He could have said, Abram, you just got to trust me. He could have said, Abram, just just don't worry about it. I said it. Now go on. Do what I tell you to do. But he said, no, I'm going to show you. 
that I'm serious about this. I want to show you that what I say is going to happen, I'm going to have it happen. What I put what I put forth, what I comes from my mouth, I will fulfill it. And he comes down in his presence, goes down this aisle, and makes this covenant with Abram. Now that's not always the God that we think about in the Old Testament terms, right? Yeah. We think of a God that's full of wrath. We think of Moses and them when he opens up the earth and swallows a third of the Israel people. We think of that God, right? We think of Sodom and Gomorrah when he sends fire and brimstone from heaven and then Lot's wife turns around and is turned to a pillar of salt. We think of a God of wrath in the Old Testament. This is a God that says, I will make this promise to you and nothing you do can stop it from being coming coming about. Amen. You can move to the other side of the globe. You can go back to where you came from. But your lineage, this is their home. This is their place. This is their promise that they're going to receive. And it's theirs. And, I, and we can see that. That's not something we all talk about, but this is the character of God that we are seeing revealed through this scripture that we look at and be like, man, that's just weird. Why are they doing that? It's God revealing his character to Abram, saying, I'm somebody you can trust. I'm somebody you can put your faith in. I'm somebody that don't matter what happens, I said it's going to happen, it's going to happen. And there's times in our life, man, that we read Scripture, which is the Word of God, right? We understand Timothy says that it is the breath of God. And we're like, man, that sounds really nice. That promise that God made that He'll never leave me and forsake me, that He'll go with me all the way. The promise that He made with David that I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor seed baking bread. These promises sound really, really good. But man, can, can I trust him in this? It doesn't seem like it right now, maybe. Maybe what you're going through makes you doubt. Maybe what you're going through makes you question. God says, if I will do it, I will do it. If I said it, I'm going to fulfill it. If I gave that promise, it's going to come about. If it's there, if I wrote it, if I put that my, my stamp of approval on it, it will come about. Amen. And I love that. I love seeing that character of God. I love seeing this character of love and mercy and forgiveness and all kinds being showed to us in the Old Testament of who God is. Amen. We could end right there, right? We could we could end right there, and I pray that you understand how meaningful and impactful that concept is. But as I begin to study this week and, and going through this scripture, I was like, there's something else there that God is trying to to reveal to us, to show us. And and and, and I prayed and I prayed and sought God, and and, and I begin to understand. And I want us to look again at verse 12, right? Because what we see is God is foreshadowing something that was about to happen. Foreshadow just means that we are seeing evidence of something that is about to happen without him fully saying it, right? He's not completely coming out saying it, but he's basically leaving some hints for us in Scripture to understand what his plan is. So I want us to look at verse 12 and what we just read, and then Luke 23, 44-46. And I've got them up here together, okay? Genesis 15, verse 12, reads like this. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, horror and a great and great darkness fell upon him. And I prayed, I was like, God, what is in this? And he began to show me and reveal This great darkness came upon him. Luke 23, 44-46 says, Now it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. And the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. Do you see the parallels? Do you see the parallels of what God is foreshadowing? Thousands of years before his son even walked upon the earth, what he began to establish 
before we even knew we needed a Savior, before we even knew that we needed that sacrifice, before the Mosaic Law came about, before Jacob had his 12 sons, before they went to Egypt, before they were delivered from Egypt, before they went to this place and that place another place, before any of that happened, God began to show and give evidence of what His plan was. Uh, one could say that the darkness fell and that signifying sin comes upon mankind. Right? Horror and darkness for, fell upon Abram. He didn't live in the garden. He didn't go through that. He didn't make that decision. But sin still bound him. Darkness came at the sixth hour when Jesus was on the cross. Signifying that we even today are under sin. We are controlled by it. There is no way that any of us can do anything about it by and in ourselves. Sin is bonded. Sin is chained. Sin is Death. That's what the Bible tells us. So we see that. We see these parallels where darkness falls and it's signifying that sin is ruling over the world. But what else do we see? In each of these situations, we see a divine aspect of the Trinity coming down and giving themselves and saying, I will take that punishment. And that's what God said when He walked, when He, when He, when His essence goes through this aisle between the animals, He says, I'll take the punishment if there is punishment to be taken. I'll be the one that that has the consequences. If there is any, it'll be on me. Your unfaithfulness, I'll take care of that. Your unforgiving, I'll take care of that. When you struggle, when you fail, I'll take care of that. Then we go thousands of years later and Jesus is saying the same thing. He's saying, the things that you've got going on, this darkness falls, I know what it means. I'm carrying that sin on the cross right now. But what you do and all your unfaithfulness and your mess ups and your mistakes and all these things that are going to go on, you're going to stumble you're going to fail, you're going to fall. I've got that right now. I am coming down to take that punishment upon myself. So we see that in both instances, right? We see that the sin is representing, or the darkness is representing sin, and then we see that a divine aspect of the Trinity is taking that punishment upon themselves. In the Old Testament, the animals signified death. In the New Testament, the veil was torn in twain. What did the veil represent? The distance and the division that we had between God and man. There was no greater punishment that we could have ever received than to be separated from God for eternity. In both, we see the punishment torn in twain. And I like this, man. I got this this week and I began to read through this and God began to pull these parallels out. And he's saying, I had this all planned out before you ever even knew you needed it. You can trust me with whatever comes because I've already got a plan set up for this. No matter what happens, no matter what comes about, and it just very clearly, you could just take and draw the lines and say, this is God just using that plan over and over again because He knew He would need it. And He's going to show Abram and say, this covenant that I make with you, it's going to bring about what Bible says in Luke chapter 22, verse 20. Likewise, He also took the cup after supper, saying, this the cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. We see two significant covenants in Scripture. The covenant, the Abrahamic covenant that God makes with Abraham. And the new covenant that Christ makes with us. And in both instances, when those covenants are sealed, when those covenants are, are come about, when those covenants are laid out for mankind, darkness comes. Sin came. A price had to be paid. Division from God or death itself. And the divine aspect of God walked upon this earth to come and to take that punishment upon Himself. Amen. This is the gospel in the Old Testament. This is God Himself saying, this is the gospel message I'm writing for them thousands of years. This is just the prelude. I've already got the plan laid out. 
you can trust me, Abram. And Isaac can trust me. And Jacob can trust me. And Moses can trust me. And David can trust me. And all these other ones, they can trust that I have a plan of action that I'm going to fulfill. If I said I will, I will. If I said I'll deliver you, I will deliver you. If I said I'll save you, I will save you. If I said I'll be there till the end through high waters and all the things going on, I will be there because this covenant that I have made. And for me, just reading that, read multiple times before and just thought it was a strange occurrence of Scripture, understanding that this is God Himself saying, I've already got a plan for all this. Amen. I've already got it figured out. You're just seeing the foreshadowing of what my son, as, uh, as it said in Hebrews, will come to perfect. Will come to perfect. Man, I, I, we oftentimes gloss over the Old Testament and view it as ex- excess or just... Sometimes we use the word, uh, you know, just say it's good to study, right? And it is. But in this instance, in Genesis chapter 15, we see God Himself laying out the gospel message that defines the New Testament church, that defines the church from Acts till today. He has already established that in the Old Testament. And He just brings it about and fulfills it again and again and again. Just as, Christ, just as God said, I'll take the consequences. Christ said, I'll take the consequences. What that means is you can have faith and trust and confidence that God will be there no matter what you go through, no matter what you face, no matter how many times you stumble, no matter how many times you come short, no matter how many times you fail, His covenant still remains. His covenant is still binding. It has still sealed you. It is still covering you. It is still protecting you. It is still there. Amen. I love the song and it talks about the Old Testament. Whenever the the, the death angel was going to pass over with the with the, um, with the plagues, and the song you know says this little boy was concerned and he was the oldest and he was worried. And he said, "Well, you check to make sure the blood is is still there, right?" Uh, and that's what we we oftentimes we go through that. We've talked about it Sunday school before and different times, and and we even brought it up today. I think Mark mentioned how the enemy will try to convince you that that your salvation is no good. We sang it in one of the songs today, that that you never got saved, that that nothing ever happened, there never was a change. If God said it, it is. Amen. If God has spoken over you and said, you are my child, you are my son, that covenant still remains. And you can have faith and trust and encouragement and strong will in that, knowing that it still remains. Amen. This covenant trust. This covenant trust. It means you can trust in the in the blood covenant that God made with Abram. Abram knew he could trust him, right? Does it mean he always did the right thing? We'll see in the next chapter. He fails immediately. We'll get to that next week. That means you can trust God. You can trust the sacrifice that Christ has made. You can trust the covenant He has made with us, this new covenant by the shedding of His blood that He has made. You can trust in that. Even when things are dark, even when things are dim, He is still there. He's still on your side. He still has you covered. He still has you surrounded. He still loves you. And He's still there. And I am, for one, am thankful for that. Amen. I love when Scripture reveals itself to be more in-depth 
more nuanced than what we may read on the surface level. Now, going through this, I wish you could have seen the, the, the thrill it gave me as God as these things begin just to to light together, right? Just to see how they how they parallel just so clearly and so evidently of God just foreordaining through this foreshadowing of what he was going to do and knowing that that's a great God. Amen. And that's a God I can trust and that's a God I can have faith in and that's a God I can lean on no matter what comes my way, no matter what I'm facing, I can put my trust and faith in that covenant he has made with me. Yeah. Amen. And I pray that you look at this scripture and you look at how it parallels what comes about with his with his only begotten son Christ. And you realize that God really loves you, that God really cares about you, that, that mankind is important to God, and that he would do anything, anything, to make sure that we get to heaven, right? That's why he sends missionaries. That's why he calls preachers. That's why he does radical, miraculous things. He says, by the goodness of God, it leads man to repentance. That's why he continues to bless people. That's why he continues to show his love and mercy. That's why he continues to remain merciful, even though by every account that he should have already taken us home, right? He remains merciful so that those can be saved that are not saved. Right. He loves us that much. And we can see that love even in the Old Testament. Whenever I talk about a God of wrath, that was a God of love that showed up that day with Abram. That was a God of mercy. That was a God of forgiveness. That was a God of don't matter what, you're my child and I'll be there with you. Amen. And that's the God that we serve. And we can put our faith and trust in Him. Amen. I'm thankful for the Word of God that is living and breathing and new every day. And I pray that we consistently go to it for all wisdom that we need and that we continue to grow in the knowledge of it. 